Welcome to the Crisis Ability Podcast, where we bring you fascinating discussions around the topic of finding possibility amidst crisis. Crisis Ability is brought to you by Devry BV Sustainable Strategies in collaboration with Intercepting Horizons and the Co-Roundtable for Moral Capitalism. Crisis Ability is hosted by Devry Buchner Vorwerk, founder and CEO of Devry BV Sustainable Strategies, Michael Wright, founder and partner at Intercepting Horizons, and Steve Young, Global Executive Director at the Co-Roundtable for Moral Capitalism. Also joining us this week as a special guest host is Joanna Mendelson-Foreman, Professor at the School of International Service and Distinguished Fellow at the Stimson Center. Hello, good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. I'm Devry Buchner Vorwerk. I'm Michael Wright. I'm Johanna Mendelssohn-Foreman. And I'm Steve Young. And welcome to Crisis Ability, a podcast where we discuss the intersection of crisis and possibility. We've been hosting for some time now great innovators, great minds, and great leaders. And this morning, I am more than honored to introduce you all to Dr. Arnan Ghat, who um, in our brief conversation and introduction before the podcast has demonstrated to all of us that he has lived a life uh, in the possibility mindset. At the moment, Dr. Gott is founder and CEO of AgroSolar and founder and CEO of Munitor. Uh, and I, I didn't say that wrong, did I, Dr. Gott? I, I, Munitor, like the moo of a cow? Munitor, yes. Munitor. It's a... And we're gonna get to that um, because that Absolutely. is a company that Arnon has um, founded, but also worked to create the, the innovation around collars that cows wear. Um, that link to satellites. It's very simple. I, I just explained it and completely muddled it, um, Arnon, but we'll, we'll get to that. Just brief history on Arnon, and we're going to dive into the conversation. Arnon is a solid state physicist, and um, he has his PhD from Stanford, where that, that appears, Arnon, to have been you know, the foundation for your work your innovations, and how you've progressed in your life in terms of um, bringing innovations to market. He spent his time at Stanford innovating something something um, known as the uh, as rapid thermoprocessing. I'm not going to go into details on them, but, but it, it is, it is a, an incredibly important processing, um, a heat, heat processing that works to, um, as part of the dynamics around semiconductors, you have to have this rapid processing. So we'll, we'll get to why that matters in the modern day. Out of Stanford, he founded a company called Ag, AG Associates, which he, he um, ultimately ended up selling and onto the, um, the NASDAQ in 1995, or he was put on the NASDAQ in 95 and ended up selling in 99. In 2004, after 30 years in the United States, he moved back to Israel, where we all know is a center of innovation and entrepreneurship. He's worked for computer companies. He's worked um, for for other technology companies um, on optical technology. And what he shared with us is He's better at running companies than he is at working in companies, and we'll get to that in a minute. And um, he's he's currently his technology is contributing to the crisis of food security, bringing uh, solar technology and water technology together. That was a long introduction, um, Arnon. 
but I wanted folks to know who we have with us this morning. So at this point, I wanted to turn it over to Michael for the first question. Good morning, Arnon. Good afternoon to you. Good to see you. Uh, you know, you've done a lot. Uh, we've known each other a long time. And, and one of the things that's about our podcast is possibilities. And you've always seen the possibilities, but you also highlighted the fact that, you know, no idea is born fully formed. It takes people. Mm. How did you influence people around you <clears throat> to, to take on these new risks and these new possibilities? Because as a leader, you've done a really good job of that, you know, building several successful companies, uh, making a real difference in industries. Uh, you did that in semiconductor, computers, and now you're doing it in, uh, in agriculture. And perhaps you could touch on that, what you're actually doing in agriculture, but how do you get people to, uh, to follow? How do you get people to get engaged? Thank you, Michael. Um, first of all, I want to I want to put a little word that uh, from the three categories of companies that I led and managed, uh, started uh, so far so forth between the physics part and the computer part and the agro part. I must say that I'm most attached to the agro part. Of course. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's not that of course. I mean, I'm I'm a physicist by education. And today I'm measuring how many liters per minute I had to take out of a well in India, 100 meters deep. It's not exactly solid state physics. Uh, it's not even too com too complicated or sophisticated, but it's very, very important. Mm -hmm. So that comes back to your question, Michael. How do I get back? How do I get people to uh, to follow? So first of all, you, you have to believe yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't have uh, and I think it's, it's sort of almost like a mystic belief that what you're doing is important or fun or successful or something big, big meaning that you can actually rally people around, uh, then they won't do it. Uh, so the key highlights to leadership is leading yourself and believing in what you do. And then it's basically contagious because when you come in the morning and, and you talk about the, what the implication of this technology, that technology, how fun it is to beat applied materials, uh, how great it is to beat the KLA. And look, we're a small company in Israel, 200 people strong against this giant uh, US manufacturers of optical microscopes, and we're gonna beat them, and we did beat them. Uh, that basically takes people, and uh, people would like to be in an environment that um, is exciting. And then, and that's not enough, you have to show them a plan of how to succeed. It's not enough just to hooray, hooray, and how great we are, even though we are great. You have to show them a specific plan of how you take this idea and move it to reality, step at a time, so they believe it. And when you do that, you start to believe it yourself, because you don't think about this when you start to, uh, a new idea. It's, well, let's have a baby. Well, a baby needs much more than just having sex. And, uh, and the beginning is very exciting and there should be a lot of follow-on to it. And that's, I think, a long answer to your short questions about how to lead people. So in, in what you're doing in India, tell us a little bit more about that because it's a game changer. You know, Again, you're impacting an industry, uh, the agricultural industry in India. And, and how's that coming about and what made it possible? Luck. Basically, I, all I can say is it was just pure, pure luck. Okay, that's, can I just, inter luck, but also years of experience and know-how, right? 
And luck. And luck. Okay. <laughs> and the story goes that uh, I know I knew nothing five years ago about water. Well, I knew that if you get good water, it tastes good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the need to combine water and solar power was kind of apparent when I went to a conference in a lab a few mm-hmm. years ago, and I talked to a friend of mine, some the first person that I went to the army, served in the army, and he, he was uh, a consultant to Tata, Tata Chemicals in India, and I said, uh, look, Rafi, there's an uh, opportunity there to combine solar power and irrigation. They don't have enough electricity, we know that. And he said, uh, yeah, but I'm sure that you're not the only, the first one that thought about this. This is sort of an obvious idea. And, he, and I said, yeah, but we're going to do it differently. He says, what do you mean? I said, we're going to take the best brain power in, is, in, in Israel and think about a way that was not taught before. And I didn't know what I was talking about. It was just basically an idea to, to do things which sort of made sense at the time. And I said, look, India is so big, even if we are almost like the same guy, we're going to find a market to sell our wares. And he was very smart and he said, okay, how about if you go to India and you can get the experience of India? He said, that's fine. So let's go to Tata. So we put a presentation and I'm pretty decent in presentation, Michael can tell, and Michael is the expert on those. So we put a presentation about a pump technology which is relying on piston as opposed to propeller. Wow. And that's really a big change uh, in, in many aspects. And we went to Tata. Uh, due to my friend that knew them, they made the presentation. Everybody was enthusiastic and clapping their hands and such. And I said, well, can, when can we buy the pump from you? Because I just came to get investment. I mean, this is an idea. Oh, you don't have a pump, Dr. Gad? I said, no, I just show you a concept. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, now we understand. So when you have a pump, please come back to us. We might be interested. Now, where did luck come, come about? We said, okay, well, if Tata is not smart enough to take this brilliant idea and pouring money over our head to to manufacture it, let's go to someplace else. And we went all over India for many months until we found a a guy who was 34 years old that had money. And we told him this idea and he said, I like it. How much would it cost? It's not gonna cost much. It's gonna cost 700,000 to make the first prototype. That I can afford that. Why don't we just go for that? This is pure luck. It's nothing to do with experience. We just happened to knock on the right person because somebody introduced me to him and he knew somebody else. And, and from that came out a wonderful friendship and, and a partnership with this Indian uh, company, Indian fellow by the name of Vishnu Ranga. And the funny part is it didn't cost 700,000. It cost 5 million. <laughs> five million in five years, not 700,000 in a year and a half. That shows you how much experience I have in making pumps. <laughs> but, so, um, I don't know if I, if I could uh, uh, sort of tease you and push you a little bit. There's another word which came to my mind when you were talking about you got to have this mystic belief in yourself and in your cause. And, and the old word for that is charisma. You got to have charisma, which is personal to you. But here's my question. The, our modern life, and, and sociologists have been writing about this for over 100 years. Max Weber was a great guy who started it. Modern life is built on logic and reason and rationality and bureaucratic hierarchies. 
Now, my question is, is there any room in rational, legal, bureaucratic hierarchies for individuals with charisma? Wow. Uh, well, thank you for the question. I, I think that uh, most of our decisions that we make, and, and, and honestly, this is my opinion, are not based on rationale. Mm -hmm. They're based on intuition, on gut feeling. This is why my last name is Gut. Now, in, in some cases, when you have big corporation and you have to uh, adjust by the numbers and work the numbers and, uh, and understand what the numbers are, maybe you can do rational thinking or rational planning. But at the end, we do decision based on our, our life mates. We make decision based on our, the kind of job that we want to have, not because we sit down and we do sort of a tree and then we sum up the tree and is it positive, we go left. And if it's negative, we go right. You know, we just kind of smell the roses and it says, this is what feels good to me, maybe not to somebody else. And if you're courageous enough to say, I'm going to go for that. Worst comes to worst, I'm going to fail. But at least I'm going to go to what feels good, not what computes well, but what feels good. So I think there's a lot of room for that part of, I don't know about charisma, but about an intuition. I would say, and I think, uh, I know the Israeli culture. I'm not an Israeli, but I've been there enough. There's also uh, the element of chutzpah, um, which I think Israelis have in their business acumen. They're very smart uh, as a culture. They've got the technology. And the only question I have here in the possibilities range is, why didn't Tata make the invention? They That's had right. the ability and the resources to do it, you, unless you signed a non-disclosure agreement and it's hard to enforce that in India. But I'm curious because you saw a possibility in every stage of your career that you've described to us. And this is yet another possibility. So how do you get this beyond the leadership and some of these other things to get people to invest in you? you it's, it's more than luck, I believe. It's the ability to present and to continue uh, pursuing the person until you get what you want. And I think that's an unusual Israeli quality and the tenaciousness of the personality. But this is just uh, me believing that. So what do you say? Is it? You can Joanna, this was, a, this was an unfair question. Why? We want an answer. Because, no, because it wasn't a question. It was three questions in one after the other, and they're sort of all related, but really kind of separate. Well, Why did, didn't Tata do it? Yeah, well, because that's people, an interesting one. I want to know. No, no, I, but I, I was just joking. It, it, it's a very relevant question. And uh, I think this red chutzpah is what gets us ahead. Um, I agree. And, and chutzpah is really doing things unconventionally and doing things uh, because you feel like it and or not doing things because you don't feel like it and takes take uh, chances where most people in the US at least are too shy or too afraid or it's it's not it doesn't look it's not look being looked upon as the right thing to do and in Israel you really don't care you you call the prime minister I'm sorry? Isn't it about survival? I mean, you're always on, you're a wonderful country, but you always live on the edge in many ways, politically, socially, economically. So you need that drive to survive. I guess so. I guess so. And when, and when you describe that edge thing, it's sort of what came into my mind is that the startup always lives on the edge. Oh. Always. No? <clears throat> the edge can be five months ahead, five years ahead. 
But that's like the country. The Israel country lives on the edge, and 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 you get to uh, learn a lot from being an Israeli how to run a company, uh, and such. So I think there's a lot of truth in what you said. Israeli chutzpah combined with uh, intelligence. I wouldn't say smartness, but I would say maybe intelligence because sometimes we do things very unsmartly, uh, and and we get burned when we do that. And it's okay. Arno and and Joanne, if I could quickly bunch jump in. Very, very good. A roommate of mine for four years was an Orthodox Jew out of Flatbush, Brooklyn. And what I started learning from him is the long-term influence in the way you think about possibility of a Talmudic education. Because my understanding is that when that the religious education is not that somebody lectures to you a catechism, but people are sitting around looking at the pages of the Talmud and arguing with each other about what the 10 or 15 different rabbis said over the centuries about something. And it seems to me this creates a powerful mindset of being open to new interpretations. But I'm not a Jew, so maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't think that you're wrong, but you're not right. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. No, 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 but what, what I mean is, not that you're not Michael right. It's, it's, it's true that people in the uh, religious Orthodox Jewry do what, exactly what you said. Unfortunately, you don't find them in startups. It's huh. just not there. So they develop all these magnificent thinking process and analyzing process and chattering process, sometimes wasting a lot of time on nonsense, but still becoming being very, very smart. But they stay in their schools, uh, in their shul, it's called, yeshiva. and uh, on the yeshiva. And most of the people that are doing startups are totally secular. I mean, I know the Bible, I read the Bible, but I don't believe in God. I believe in Israel. I believe in people. And I didn't have any education, any uh, orthodox education. So that's why I said that you're not right, you're not wrong, but uh, you're not totally right because it's just not applicable to the Israeli society in general. By the way, Israel is considered to be a religious country. It's only 15% of our of our population is, is really, really very religious. So I, I think it's, but, but, but Steve, thank you for asking the question. I think the roots and the genes come from there. So it's not totally wasted because 500 years ago, all of us, all Jewish people, were the learning type. And in the 1800s, uh, the Jewry kind of split between saying religion, religious or becoming secular. And most of the secular Jews were ex exterminated in the, uh, in the Second World War. So it's a long history. I don't know it has to do with leadership, but uh, I had to re respond to you in that respect. And, and to say that uh, it's a... It's a true, it's a, not true type thing. Yeah, it's interesting your response to Steve's question because what was in my mind is there are those that teach and those that do, which is way too simplified. Um, because I believe what you're also doing or not is teaching the world a different way. Um, and you you started by saying that of all your career, the one that's bringing you and I'm using different words, but the most gratification is is the agriculture one and. And where I got to was, and my question is really, is it about purpose? Is that, is that why you feel you're getting the gratification out of the work you're doing in India with AgroSolar? Of course, of course. Can you expand uh, on that? Wait. Sorry? Can you expand on that? 
Yeah, all you have to do is just go to India and look at the farmer that has basically four acres of land to feed 15 people. He's got a family of not 15, maybe 10. And that's what he does. And at the end of the year, he makes a profit of $50. Yeah. I spent significant years on India. I lived a little there. Um, And the challenge, too, is that nearly 40 to 60% of what they produce doesn't make it to to the market. They don't have cold chain. Um, They're facing a water crisis and infrastructure crisis. Also marketing. I mean, the, the government has only recently loosened the way that they can market through, you know, different channels instead of fixed Mondi markets. But what you're offering them is a solution around how they can make the most of their resources. How does that solution and your mystic belief in, in yourself take India to a new level in terms of food security? I think it's, it's well known that only half of the villages in India are powered with electrical grid. Um, 65% of the land of India is unirrigated, un- which means only 35% basically do any kind of irrigation. And irrigation can be with electrical pump or with a diesel pump or now at the very beginning of solar pumping. So what we offer is to a villager that lives in nowhere, has a power line of about 500 miles away from his house. He will never get electricity, or at least in his lifetime, to basically have two or three crops a year. Hmm. What you make me think is I want to bring you to Haiti. Well, it's, it, yes. No, I, I think you know, once again, you know, Arnon's, you know, being modest, the, the impact that he's had on industries and uh, the impact on, on how things are done in this world, I think um, he's been at a, a cornerstone, but um, largely unrecognized because that's also typical. But the, the, uh, the possibility piece, you know, I'm always curious as to what drives um, people to accomplish. There's something that uh, we've sort of come across here, which is the threshold of courage. How, yeah. how do you muster that, that, take that step across the threshold? And the threshold, at least at the corporate level, seems to be expanding and making it more difficult. But you've been able to, you know, just sort of ignore those and keep going. What keeps you going in this particular one? What, what keeps you, you know... Is it just seeing the farmers being able to use the product or is there something more? Of course, it's something more. It's just, it's a, it's a blend. It's a combination of driving forces. And um, thinking about this, the biggest driving force uh, were my parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you bring 90 on a test, <clears throat> on a test of math, and, and my father asked, what about the other 10? Why didn't you get 100? <laughs> so you see, you're being set on objectives to be the best that you can. Mm. Now, with the farmer, without the farmer, at least I try, I don't know about, and I think my children as well, to do the best that you can because here, this is what you're here for. And if it combines with the public good, as was, as was said earlier, that's fantastic. And if it's not, it's, all, it's already, it's, it's fine too. 
but I, I don't need the recognition. I have my own recognition. I know I invented RTP. I know there's a billion dollars a year of RTP equipment, not mine, mind you, that's being sold every year based on these lamp-based heating mechanisms that I invented 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Yeah. And that's enough for me. I don't need the recognition. And then I, and, and the recognition that I get is from Michael Wright. That's pretty yeah. good. I always have the unfortunate role of closing us out um, so that we can stay within the time frame. And I think it's pretty powerful, Armand, the words you just used, do the best that you can. Some big themes have, have popped up. Um, I love this notion of having a mystic belief in yourself. Um, that's, that's something that um, I think we can take with us. This notion also of taking beyond the mystic belief to making it contagious in the few minutes that we've spent with you. I feel, I feel like um, your leadership, what you've brought to the world, um, what you're continuing to do is quite contagious and I can see why so many would want to follow. And for those, those who have turned away Arnon's you know, proposition to change the world, um, I think they're probably kicking themselves today. So with that, I want to say thank you on behalf of the Crisis Ability Podcast team. And Arnon, I'll give you the final, the final words before we close out. Namaste. Mm -hmm. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Crisis Ability. Crisis Ability is produced by Eric Sandy and proudly presented by Devry BV Sustainable Strategies. At Devry BV Sustainable Strategies, we believe in inspiring businesses to courageously serve humanity. We do this by integrating sustainability into your business strategy, helping your organization to bridge the gap between intent and outcomes. Visit devrybv.com to learn more about how businesses can either react to change or inspire it.